Sister Helen, thank you for joining me. In session seven of Dignity and the Death Penalty, we hear a lot about the different kinds of justice. You favor restorative, which strives to achieve God's call for love, mercy, and healing to overcome anger and pain. What is the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice, and why is the latter a better approach? Retributive justice is based out of you cause pain, you cause hurt, we're going to make you suffer pain, you're going to pay for your crime, literally. That's the language that's used. Restorative justice is that someone in the community has been hurt. How can we address the healing that needs to happen in the whole community? Yes, we want to hold a person accountable. Do you know that the way the criminal justice system is set up, there is never any direct meeting between the victim who has been hurt and the one who did the hurting. When you have the healing circle set up in a community, one of the things that happens is the person who has been hurt says directly to the perpetrator, to the offender, here's how you hurt me. There's a man by the name of John Sage in Texas. His sister Marilyn was brutally killed, brutally. And he had a journey to go on. He wanted to kill the ones who killed his sister with his own bare hands. But he had to get away out of the anger because it was eating him alive. He decided to devote his life to working with prisoners who, before they got out of prison, would go through this inauguration, this orientation into a life of faith, a life of remorse, a life of getting ready for their life on the outside. And he said the most tension-filled sessions in it were where the perpetrator was there in the room and someone who had had experienced a similar crime. You didn't ever have the direct victim's family themselves. Like, And here is a mother facing him, her daughter had been raped. And that had been his crime. And she said, do you know what happened to my daughter after she came home after she had been raped? Do you know what rape did to that young woman? How it made her question herself and demean herself, somehow blame herself, you know, that she was trash, that do you know all? And I mean, it is really hard for them to hear it. It's very hard then to take it in. And some, sometimes there's tears in the room. There's just, and then to have a chance through that woman as a kind of proxy to say, I am so sorry. See what happens in the criminal justice system is the victim's taken out of the picture. The state takes over to punish the criminal. Then the criminal is put into prison and they go through their own stuff about the whole unjust system, everything that happens to them. And they never get a chance to look into the eyes of someone that they have hurt. And to be able to, it, it just facilitates feeling remorse and wholeness. God, I did a terrible thing and I am so sorry. And I want to make amends in my life for what I've done. That is what restorative justice is about. And the more we can have those healing circles, outside of a prison environment where what you do is you just make the person feel pain, exile them, separate them from their family. That doesn't heal anything. The other thing is that to just say, well, we won't give you the death penalty, but we'll give you life without parole. As Pope Francis has said, and there's been growing consciousness about this, to deprive a human being of hope, 
to say to them, you're not going to get death on the gurney, but you're going to get death in prison. No matter what you do, no matter how many, how clean your record is and you never have write-ups and you never do anything wrong, you are never, ever going to get out of that prison. And then how can you have hope? Human beings, the thing about us is that we're always capable of changing and being transformed. There is no human being that you can say is so utterly evil in themselves, they can't change. And so to condemn a person to their death in prison is also a violation of human rights. You always gotta give people a change. And where they're making some progress now is especially taking young people who were put in prison before their neocortex of their brains had not even fully developed to help them make right judgments and saying, why are you imprisoning these young people? 40 years for this crime? And that's the direction that we need to go in. Restorative justice, not retributive justice. How do you respond to people who argue that rehabilitation of violent offenders is ineffective? Can you give me some examples? Uh, first, I would just say for people who say that you know, restorative justice or that people can't change, I'll bet you a dime to a dollar they never have met anybody in prison. It's really easy when we see whole classes of people, oh yeah, those criminals. Oh yeah, they say they're innocent. We don't believe anybody's innocent. Oh yeah, they said they had a come to Jesus meeting. And they're looking at them from the outsiders. They are outsiders. And so they have no pathway of compassion. So the first thing, when somebody makes a statement like that, what you want to do is start inviting them in and you just start telling them stories. Let me tell you about this guy. Do you know about that group, Witness to Innocence, that's there? These are all people that were wrongly put on death row. And now, by the grace of God, they're out. And do you know they're coming and they're visiting in churches and all to just tell the story of what happened to them? So here's example after example of people that were actually innocent, but even those within prison, how they can change. So that that warden at the Louisiana State Penitentiary told me one time, you know who generally makes our trustee prisoners? What crime they came in here for? Who makes the best trustees? Those in for murder. Because they didn't know when they got up that morning that they were gonna murder somebody, they got involved in the situation. It's not that they're not guilty. But that's not all they are. And they get in the discipline of the prison and begin to read books. They begin to be in a community like if spiritual retreats are a hell for them. They grow out of that and they are more than that. Why keep them in prison the rest of their life? Some practical reasons are actually one of the factors of leading, like our governor here in Louisiana. We had so many people on hospice and in geriatric wards because they were sentenced to life they 75 years old and they are still in prison i mean what sense does it make and so i'm glad to hear the phrase now even from politicians we need to be smart about crime not tough on crime in what ways can the public be helpful to men and women who are incarcerated wake up first of all we belong to a community of faith I mean, those that belong to a community of faith, those that don't, those that believe in human rights, start getting involved with the jail and the prison in the area. Just ask about visiting. First step, be a pen pal. That writing to a person inside prison is a human connection. Look at me. 
I wrote a letter. I never dreamed by writing a letter I would get so involved in this whole human rights endeavor. But I wrote a person. The one on the other end of that letter was a real person who wrote back to me. And we could exchange that connection and then one thing led to another. You could begin as a pen pal and then in your diocese, in your church, those of you who belong to Catholic faith communities, you go in, more and more deacons now are going into prison. They're the leadership in our church of leading people into prison. What the words of the gospel are so blatant. I remember when I, I read them when I was writing to this man. It's like they jumped out at me at the page in my meditation that morning. I was in prison and he came to me. It's that bold. It's that stark. Well, he's sure not going to come visit me. We're the ones that have to put ourselves out, go past these boundaries. I love what Pope Francis says. We have to be field hospitals out there near where the wounded are. Who's more wounded than the people in our society that have been imprisoned? It's not to offer them undue sympathy. We can be angry at what they have done. We can be outraged at their crimes. But can we see the human being that's in there? And that's, that's the Jesus, to have the Jesus eyes, to be able to see past that, that terrible thing they've done and to see a human being. I love that, the Jesus eyes. Sister, thank you so much for taking the time. May God continue to bless you and bless everyone who's on death row or incarcerated. Thank you so much. Thank you.